it's important to keep in mind the distinction between the doctrine of creation and different models of creation that Christians hold because they have different interpretations of scripture and of the relevant scientific evidence. As Christian lawyer Philippi Johnson wrote, the essential point of creation has nothing to do with the timing or the mechanism the creator chose to employ, but with the element of design or purpose. In the broadest sense, a creationist is simply a person who believes that the world was designed and exists for a purpose. Philosopher Alvin Plantinger frames the issue like this. He says, we recognise that there are many ways in which God could have created the living things he has in fact created. How, in fact, did he do it? Did it all happen just by way of the working of the laws of physics? Or was there further divine activity? We must look at the evidence and consider the probabilities as best we can. What we might call the grand evolutionary story or Darwinism is not merely a scientific theory, one purporting to explain the origins and diversification of life on Earth over millions of years due to natural processes. Rather, it's the naturalistic creation myth. As Johnson observed, Darwinism is the answer to a specific question that grows out of philosophical naturalism. How must creation have occurred if we assume that God had nothing to do with it? Hence, geneticist Richard Lewontin wrote that it is not that the methods of science somehow compel us to accept a material explanation of the world, but on the contrary, that we are forced by our adherence to material causes to create a set of concepts that produce material explanations, no matter how counterintuitive, no matter how mystifying. Moreover, that materialism is absolute, for we cannot allow a divine foot in the door. Now, the grand evolutionary story makes a number of different claims. The ancient Earth hypothesis says that the Earth is about 4.5 billion years old. The progress thesis says that living things gradually increased in complexity over time. The common ancestry hypothesis says that contemporary organisms are all descended from simpler ancestral organisms. The universal common ancestry hypothesis says that all living things are descended from one original primordial organism. The neo-Darwinian or blind watchmaker hypothesis uh, says that evolution happens through natural processes requiring no divine or other non-material teleological guidance. This philosophical thesis motivates the scientific theory that mutation and selection, and perhaps other similarly undirected mechanisms, are sufficient to explain the appearance of design in biology. The neo-Darwinian modern evolutionary synthesis combines Darwin's theory of adaptation by natural selection with the science of genetics. 
there is a discussion between adherents of the modern synthesis and advocates of an extended evolutionary synthesis who advocate one or more supplementary explanations of evolution framed in terms of an unguided, unplanned process of physical chance and or necessity. However, neo-Darwinism remains the cornerstone of modern evolutionary theory. The naturalistic origins hypothesis says that life arose from non-life by an unplanned and unguided physical process. Now, I've just described these hypotheses in what many informed scholars would consider a descending order of plausibility. So Alvin Plantinga writes, there is excellent evidence for an ancient earth. There is less evidence, but still good evidence in the fossil record for the progress thesis. The, the claim that there were bacteria before fish, fish before reptiles, reptiles before mammals and mice before men. The naturalistic origins thesis seems to me to be, for the most part, mere arrogant bluster. Given our present state of knowledge, I believe it is vastly less probable on our present evidence than is its denial. Christopher L. Rees warns that we must be cautious about equating our interpretations of scripture with scripture itself and our interpretations of nature with nature as it truly is. Thus, when we encounter apparent contradictions between the two, we should strive to ensure we're understanding and interpreting each accurately. In some cases, we may need to revisit our understanding of scripture. And in other cases, we may need to verify that we're grasping the facts about the natural world accurately and interpreting those facts properly. Hence, philosophers Michael J. Murray and Michael Rear argue that in the same way that the scientists can be mistaken in the conclusions that they draw from the empirical data, religious believers must remain open to the possibility that they have mistakenly interpreted the revelatory data. Thus, for the religious believer, the conflicts between science and religion will involve balancing evidence against evidence. The empirical evidence favouring scientific claims against the revelatory evidence favouring theological claims. The Christian critic of evolution might conclude that the evidence for an ancient earth seems quite strong, while the evidence for the naturalistic origin of life is, in fact, virtually non-existent. This then needs to be balanced against the evidence of revelation. How clear is it that the Bible teaches that the earth is young or that God directly intervened in the cosmos to bring about life? So there's room for doubting models of creation. As philosopher J.P. Morland says, there are sufficient problems in interpreting Genesis 1 and 2 to warrant caution in dogmatically holding that only one understanding is allowable by the text. And theologian David Winter writes that the phrase, the Bible says, begs a lot of questions. What does the Bible say? To whom is it saying it? What is the context? 
background and literary form of the passage in question. Is it to be taken literally or figuratively or allegorically? There's also room for doubting Darwinism. The grand evolutionary story contains philosophical commitments that derive from a naturalistic worldview. These philosophical commitments can be replaced with other philosophical commitments, interpreting the same scientific data within a different worldview. So a theist might say that uh, life arose from non-life by a guided uh, physical process, uh, or that it arose at least by a intended physical process. It is possible to interpret the evolutionary story philosophically and the biblical story theologically so that they contradict each other. And it is possible to use this contradiction to argue against either the truth of evolution or the infallibility of scripture. It's also possible to interpret the evolutionary story and the biblical story in ways that make them compatible. And it's possible to doubt some elements of the grand evolutionary story without doubting every element. Such doubts can be rationally motivated by theological, philosophical and or scientific reasons. For example, some atheists deny universal common ancestry, whilst still accepting common ancestry on scientific grounds. Again, some atheists deny the sufficiency of the modern evolutionary synthesis on scientific grounds, without denying the blind watchmaker thesis. For example, atheist philosopher Jerry Fodor writes that phylogeny, that is common descent, could be true even if the adaptationism isn't. Uh, the classical Darwinist account of evolution as primarily driven by natural selection is in trouble on both conceptual and empirical grounds. An appreciable number of perfectly reasonable biologists are coming to think that the theory of natural selection can no longer be taken for granted. And atheist philosopher Thomas Nagel, in his fascinating book Mind and Cosmos, why the materialist neo-Darwinian conception of nature is almost certainly false, writes that the dominant scientific consensus faces problems of probability that I believe are not taken seriously enough both with respect to the evolution of life forms through accidental mutation and natural selection, and with respect to the formation from dead matter of physical systems capable of such evolution. The more we learn about the intricacy of the genetic code and its control of the chemical processes of life, the harder those problems seem.